Good morning. It's a brand new series, and um, maybe you're like me, or, or you're in a similar spot as I am um, about parenting. And, and if, if you're anything like me, I'll, I'm going to be the first one to tell you. My parenting journey, although it's been short, about three years or so, um, has been one of the craziest wild rides I've ever been on in my life. Any other parents can identify? You never know what is about to happen, right? Whether it's going to be what's going to happen in, you know, we have, I have two three-year-olds, and uh, I love them so much. And one of the funniest things for us is we'll be playing, and all of a sudden they have the urge to, Mother Nature calls, if you know what I'm saying. And in the front yard, that's the perfect spot to just answer the call. That's my two boys, both of them. And a lot of times I think what's interesting to me is when I think of the perfect parent, we, we get this idea of what a perfect family looks like. And maybe it's something like one of these pictures. Everybody's smiling, so happy. Or, or what about this other one of um, blowing bubbles in the field? That's exactly what parenthood is like, right? No. Maybe, just maybe, you identify with some of these um, tweets from parents like I do. Here's a few of them. ABCs, one, two, threes, animals, colors, great, super. We need more children's books about weekends and sleeping in, you know, for the kids. <laughs> right? Or, or what about this other one? I asked my six-year-old, aren't you going to help me plant flowers? And she said, oh, mommy, I would love to do that, except I don't want to. <laughs> what about having a 50% chance my youngest kid gets her shoes on the wrong feet 100% of the time? If you notice my one child, Kendrick, this is him to a T the majority of the time. He loves wearing his shoes on opposite feet. It's kind of strange. It's okay, though. What about this? Me, what should you do if you see smoke? My six-year-old, ask what you're cooking. <laughs> Have not experienced that yet, which is great. Or, or what about, like, I couldn't be more exhausted. Parenthood, hang on a day or so there. You can be, wink. What about this last one? Be kind to everyone you meet, for you never know who got woken up at 3.20 a.m. by a kid who was just not tired. It might be hard for you guys to notice, but this was tweeted at 5.40 a.m. as well. My guess is they've been up for a little bit. Maybe you're like me and can identify closer with some of these than sitting in a field blowing bubbles with your family while getting your picture taken. They sum up parenting in a way. The craziness, the unexpected chaos, it sums it up. And it's one of the biggest learning curves in my life. And I find myself asking a simple question really quite often. How do I get this right? How do I get this right? How do I get this thing right and not mess up my two boys? How do I get this right and do what I have to do and not do what I shouldn't do? How do I get this right and where do I turn for answers when I'm at a loss of what to do next? It's a million-dollar question, right? How do I get this right? And I want to be very clear, although we're in this new parenting series, I truly believe that this series is not just for parents. Whether you find yourself in 
in a dating relationship or, or single or whatever it might be, I have full confidence that you probably come and cross paths with a child at some point in your life. And I, I believe that's a pretty fair assessment. And so it's not just for parents, it's not just for those of us who have kids, but this is for each and every one of us. And I truly believe that God has something in store during these next few weeks as we dive into this series. I believe he's going to be speaking to us, whether it be in person, here or online, sitting on your couch or wherever you might be, that God has something for us, especially today, that he wants you to hear. Because at the end of the day, we all want to get this right. We all want to get this right. We all want to get it right in life. We want to be able to love well. We want to be able to parent well and live well as well. So maybe, maybe this series is for some of us who want to get it right when we interact with that neighborhood kid who seems to wander into our yard or drive on our grass freshly mowed and manicured, crisp edge lines, Maybe it's so that we can interact and love well for that kid. Or, or maybe we want to get it right for our nieces and nephews, who sometimes we get the privilege of watching and sugaring up a little bit too much so that mom and dad can slip away for a nice dinner by themselves. Maybe we want to get it right for those of us who maybe parent in foster care or serve in a residential facility and, and loving on children and students who just need somebody to love on them and pour into them. Maybe we want to get it right because we've been entrusted to parent a child in our own life. And sometimes we're at a loss. And the more and more I've thought about this idea of what it means to be a perfect parent, the more and more I've been deeply convicted that it's not necessarily about getting it right, even as this adult figure and knowing all the rules and how to navigate that, but it really comes down to this statement. And this is what we're going to focus on today is biblical parenting is faithfully, faithfully following Christ in our lives. Biblical parenting is faithfully following Christ. It's, and I'm going to be very clear about this. Parenting, it's not the newest book. It's not the latest podcast. It's not even the greatest schools. Parenting comes down to one thing, and I believe it with everything in my heart, one thing and one thing only, and it comes down to following Christ faithfully in our lives. And what that means is this. In order for me to be my best parent, I have to first and fully understand that I am called a child of God first and then a parent second. We get that? My identity is never found in, in a parent, a pastor. My identity has always been found as a child of God, as an image bearer. And I believe that in order for us to be this, quote, quote, perfect parent, it comes down to us fully surrendering to being his child first. Paul talks about this as he writes to uh, in the, the letter in Colossians 3, that's where we're going to hang out today. Colossians 3 opens up, and this is what it says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and, you, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. What's interesting is 
in this text, in this letter, we're reminded to set our things on the things above, the things in heaven. Remember, you have died to this life. You have died to the the names, the titles, the pressures of this life because we are made new in Christ. And when we focus on Christ's love and his model of living, we can get a picture of what it means to even parent in a godly manner. To have sacrificial love. To have unconditional love. When I say unconditional love, I find it interesting in today's world and culture that sometimes our world may, may substitute unconditional love with unconditional approval. Unconditional love, though, does not equal unconditional approval. I truly believe I've experienced this as I was growing up. I was a difficult kid. I can acknowledge it. I mean, when I was growing up, I thought I was perfect. My mother, who's sitting here, may disagree. But unconditional love does not equal unconditional approval. There were times, and there is times, for correction, for instruction, and discipline as well. But it doesn't mean that in those moments of correction, instruction, and discipline that there's still not an unconditional love that's coming through. And Christ modeled unconditional love, even in how he walked and navigated things with people as he walked here on this earth. He loved them deeply while still instructing and correcting them, showing them the proper way. And us as parents, we have the opportunity to do that as well. And all of this, all of this things that we go through in parenthood, our identity lies solely in Christ and Christ alone. It's all about an abiding relationship with him. John 15, abiding relationship. Spending time with him and we become more and more in tune with him and more and more like him. To be the perfect parent, we have to first acknowledge that we are his child first. Identity is not a mom or a dad. Identity is in the image of God. It's not your past and your past regrets and decisions and sins. It's in you're made in the image of God. Your identity is not even in your future and what you are striving towards and what you're working towards. It's in the image of God. Your identity is not your job. It's in the image of God. And I truly believe that for us to be the perfect parent, we have to understand that we reflect the character of Christ when we abide deeply in him. And we become a better person and a better parent when we first submit to being his son and his daughter in his image. That's what today's all about. I'm going to be the first one to acknowledge and say this. I don't have the the perfect recipe of what it looks like to be a parent. There are days where my kids show up to the store with me in a Superman costume. Because it just was not a battle worth fighting that morning. You understand what I'm saying? There are days where you just say, well, that doesn't work, that doesn't go. And it doesn't matter in their minds because they just want to wear that shirt with those pants. And you just don't fight the battle because it's just not a battle worth fighting. I don't have the perfect recipe. And I probably never will. But what I do understand, I believe, and I'm growing in, is what it means for me to be a better child of God and to keep him at the center of my focus rather than anything else. I've spent many years as a youth pastor before joining here at the story. 
And what's interesting is when you're a youth pastor, you get a different perspective um, of kids. There was uh, about six years where uh, I was a youth pastor and Court and I didn't have the, uh, our two boys yet. And so um, a lot of our students, we would interact and have them and we treated them as almost like our own kids, just a lot older. And what was interesting is I saw some families where it was a slow drift, but a slow fade slowly began to make an idol out of their own child's success and their own child. And I believe our culture endorses this. I believe our culture enforces this. Make sure you do all the sports. Make sure you do all this stuff. It don't matter if it happens on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter. We slowly begin to make our children an idol. And when we do that, we slowly begin to shift where God is in our lives. We start to put other things before him. Other things before his will. Other things before God himself. And when we shift our focus away from God and on being his child, our, our focus should always be on God. And rather we put our children above that. It might look like their athletic achievements take priority over a relationship with God. It may look like their academics take priority over their relationship with God. It may look like their plans and their desires and their wants take priority over the relationship with God. And what was interesting is this, is that I grew up playing a lot of sports, and I love sports. I've been active in helping do some stuff with some FCAs and stuff like that, and so I have nothing against sports. But I believe that there is power power in being together as a family, in church, in reading the word together, and diving into a relationship with Christ together. Some of the most beautiful moments for Court and I have been at the dinner table with our two boys. Last night we were having dinner and, and Kendrick looks at us and just says, I'll pray tonight. Half the time we have no idea what he's praying for still. And half the time, his prayers are like 10 minutes long. Y'all thought I preached long. <laughs> but it's beautiful because he's starting to learn and understand that there's power together in a family and for us as parents to model that. And I'm going to talk about that in a few short seconds here. Because when we start to put our kids as an idol, we lose sight of what God has called us to as his child. And here's the reality, though. Here's the reality. I truly believe this. I've, I've been feeling this a lot, is that I believe that God uses our kids to raise us and grow us as parents. It's not that we are, we're not trying to raise the perfect parents, but rather we're developing to more devoted disciples. God uses our kids to raise us. You ever have those moments where your child or a child that you're interacting with corrects you, and they're right? And you're like, who are you? It's almost like that gut check moment, right? And then they become teenagers, and they correct you, and you're like, child, child, we need some prayer here. Right? 
There's these moments where God uses our children regardless if they are just barely learning to walk or just got their driver's license and experienced freedom. God uses our children to grow and develop us. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and God is using and working in court in us, in court and I in this. God is using our children to, to grow us. We have two very, very, very strong-willed boys. God is using that to grow us. And it's awesome because as God is doing this, he's pruning and he's working in us of what maybe we've walked into our relationship with and our, our parenthood journey with that needs to be stripped away so that we can become a better parent together. He's also using uh, people before us, our mentors and our friends before us in a stage ahead of us. And the joy is this, is that I get to call up my buddy who is a mentor of mine, who's a little bit ahead of me, and just say, like, how do you navigate this? I get to learn from his mistakes, but I also get to learn from his success. And he's also building relationships with us, uh, with other people who's in the same stage. It's incredible to me that if you walk into our nursery right now, there are a multitude of like three-year-old boys. We have a lot of parents in the same stage. And it's funny because it's almost like a comparison of like, what'd your three-year-old do today? Right? My three-year-old decided that right in the front lawn is the perfect time to take a leak. How, how's your three-year-old doing today? Oh, my other three-year-old decided, like, it's all of this fun, enjoyable, but also at the same time, convicting moments where as a village, a tribe, our church and our family and friends we're developing into better parents because we are first learning what it means to be a child of God first, together. That saying of it takes a village or it takes a tribe to raise a child, I fully believe it. I fully believe it. Because being the perfect parent isn't the goal. The goal is becoming a more devoted child of God. That's the goal. That's the goal. And Paul continues on, and we, we learn how to do this and become better at this. As he lays it out in verses 12 through 14, this is what it says. And since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I love that Paul just breaks this down. He starts out with essentially humility. Humility. Tenderhearted mercy, humility, and kindness. It's, it's this moment where we get to submit ourselves to him and say, Here I am, broken, confused, lost, but God... Would you lead me? In some translations, they use um, these two different terms in this passage as well of, of meekness and long-suffering. And meekness is how humility affects our actions towards others. 
which means we're not called to dominate, manipulate, or coerce for my own pleasure or my own success. And they also use the terminology long-suffering, which is how humility affects my reaction towards others. Not to be impatient, short, or filled with resentment. And he continues on, he talks about being forgiving. Forgiving. This was one of the moments where God, as I'm prepping and moving, God just asked me that question of, Kyle, how are you doing with being forgiven in parenting? How forgiving are we truly and how likely are we to ask for it? One of the most humble moments of my life is when I have to apologize to my, my three-year-olds, maybe for losing my cool, maybe for struggling. Humility. And forgiveness, how are we doing with that? If God is patient, gentle, faithful, and more when he forgives us, which he is, by the way, do we model this with our kids as well? Do we model this with our kids as well? And he ends it, he says, all of this is held together with what? Love. Love. It's the love of God that holds it all together. And when we love as Christ loves, we can draw others closer and closer to him. By the way we love, by the way we act, by the way we talk and how we live. It's unconditional love. How are we doing modeling Christ and his character to our kids? One of the things that this journey, this three-year journey has taught me is that kids pick up Everything. Everything that you say, everything that you do, kids are watching. And not only do they pick up and start to understand and see it, have you ever noticed that they start to do it as well? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> this is a guilty confession time. I am a very, very fast driver. And as part of that, I don't like it when there's a slower driver in front of me. And believe it or not, my, my little dude, Kendrick, has picked up on that. And what that means is when I'm driving, and Kenny is right back here, he doesn't like to sit behind me. That's, that's a little cash and seat. Kenny has to be over here because then he can make eye contact in the rearview mirror with me. You know what I'm saying? He can get, give me that look of like, man, they are driving slow, Dad. And he'll start to like acknowledge it. You know, come on, move, faster car, faster car. Daddy, go faster, go around, go around. And I'm sitting here like, you must be driving with your mother too much. And that is that moment of conviction of like, oh, no, that's me. He said exact phrases of like, come on, move it. I say that all the time. They pick up on what you say and what you do. They pick up on the language and your sayings. Moments of, you know, just, just funny even little sayings. Something happened the other day and, and out of the blue, little Cashin would say, holy cannolis. And I've said that a few different times. And what's interesting is like, he's starting to say it. And I'm like, Wow. That's interesting. 
They pick up on not only what you say, but also those actions you do. My boys like to play sports, and so I toss a ball to little Kendrick, and he hits this ball, and it's a great hit. But the first thing he does is he, he bat flips that bat, and he does this little home run strut. And I th- start thinking to myself, where did you see that? Well, Daddy does that after a good hit in softball. Gut check moment. What are we modeling for our children? What about our lifestyle even? Do we pack our lifestyle so busy and so fast that our kids are starting to understand that there's no time to just be with each other and be with family? Everything is just go, 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 go. Or our eating habits. I love snacking. And so does little Cashin. Half the time you can find them elbow deep in chips. Doritos are a personal favorite with me and my boys. Elbow deep. What are we modeling for our children? What about our relationships? And how we engage with relationships and how we engage with each other. Are we modeling Christ in all of these things? Are we modeling what it looks like to be a child of God first above everything else? You see, we can teach what we know but we will always reproduce what we are. We can teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So I can sit there and tell my boys all these stories and all these life lessons and everything, but ultimately they're going to hear that, but they're going to see how I act and move and live in certain situations, and that's what they're going to start to do as well. We can teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. So what are we reproducing? Are we reproducing devoted disciples of Christ? Are we reproducing something totally different? Because when we're modeling what it looks like to be loved as a child of God, our kids will pick up on it. He ends this chapter, verses um, 20 and 21, and this is what he says as he comes to an end here. Children, always obey your parents. For this pleases the Lord. We, as a parent, really like that verse. Personally, really like that verse. But he also says fathers. And and here, when he says fathers, it's not just directly to the male as the father, but rather this is parents. It's a plural. Do not aggravate your children. They will become discouraged. What's interesting is when you look at these, these two verses... It's intriguing to me to dissect them. Because as it talks about children, we're, we're called, even as grown children, as adult children, and as teenager children, we are, have always been called to honor our parents. We have a responsibility to obey and honor. But even as parents, we have a responsibility to not provoke, to not be too harsh, to not be too demanding, too controlling, to not be unforgiving. Or to be angry. And that's where, for me, I'll be very honest, in my parenting journey, I, I'm trying to get better. I always want to get better. As I was digging into these verses, one of the commentators, he put it this way, of provoked children can grow to believe the world is against them. 
never fully understanding or experiencing the Father's love for his children through their earthly parents. Our parenting needs to be filled with grace, needs to be filled with gentleness, forgiveness, and patience, as Christ is with us. And remember that we are called to an unconditional love for our children. But that doesn't mean an unconditional approval. Discipline, correction, and instruction is still needed for children, 100%. There are times for discipline, but there's times for grace. There's times for instruction, but there's times for mistakes. There's times for correction, but there's times for mercy. And at the core of it all, when we learn and we develop how to parent as image bearers first and parents second, nothing can touch our identity in Christ. It doesn't matter how disobedient our kids may be, we're still called a child of God. It doesn't matter how much tension the family may have, we're still called a loved child of God. It doesn't matter how distant our kids may seem, we are still called a child of God. Biblical parenting is faithful following Christ in our lives. And when we model that first, when we model that first, we can start to understand how to love and parent better each and every day. As uh, Josh comes up, I have a few just last second thoughts that I want to put before you. The first is, how do you model an abiding relationship with Christ? How do you model that? Every morning when you wake up, what is the first thing you do? What is the first thing you, your kids see us do? How do we model what it looks like to be in an abiding relationship with Christ? Are we showing our children what it means to pour into a relationship with God and knowing that and trusting that everything else will fall into place? How do you also model that we are image bearer first and then a parent second? Our first and greatest call is that we are called his child. Beloved, worthy and valuable. My job title, my even title as a parent, can't ever come close to being called God's child that is deeply and passionately loved. And through this time, God is radically already starting to, to shift my perspective on what it means to be a good parent. And shift my perspective on godly parenting. He's moving me more and more closer to him as his son. And reminding me more and more often that he has called me his beloved child. And he, he's working in me to model that for my two boys. In a crazy and chaotic world. I'm learning a lot about submission. And today as we close, I want to give us that opportunity today to remember who we are and whose we are. And so we're going to take communion today. 
Jesus sat down at the table with his 12, he took the bread and he broke it and he said that to remember my body that is broken for you. And he passed it and he said, take it and remember me. And then he held up the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Take it and remember me. And every time that we come to the place of communion, I always reflect back on, it's an opportunity for us to remember. We get to remember what Christ did on the cross. That he, he bore the weight of our sin so that we didn't have to. He took that weight so that we could live eternally with him in heaven. But it's also a moment where we are able to repent. Repent of the brokenness and the sin that maybe we've been walking around with. The shame and the guilt that maybe we've been carrying for far too long. It's a moment where we get to fall at the face of Jesus and fully submit in repentance to him. And ask for that forgiveness, that unconditional love that has poured out for us. But it's also a moment for us to reconcile. Reconcile grievances that maybe we've, we have with one another. Or maybe even God himself. And so over these next few moments here, we're, Josh is just going to play a little bit. And I'll, I'm going to pray for us before we take communion. But there are two stations in the back. One right in front of the window here and one to my right over here next to the, the sound booth. And if you need to just repent or reconcile, take a few moments in your chair and just sit and just let him speak to you in your heart. And then you can go up and grab a piece of bread and a cup of juice as well. And there are trash cans by it. You can bring it back to your seat and hold on to the end of service, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. But this is a moment where we just get to fall before our Father and just submit to him as his child who is deeply loved. That he loved us enough to give his son to die on a cross so that we could live with him forever. So I'd love to just pray for us before we take communion. And here at the store, we have an open table. So if there's you know, children or, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what, what background, denominationally, whatever you come from, we have an open table. We believe that God invites us to it. And we do, do this. We take this act, this symbol, as a way of remembering him and his sacrifice for us. So I'd love for you to just, um, would you just pray with me as we head into this next time of worship together? Father, we just sit here in your presence. We just come before you as children. Children who may have their brokenness and their struggles. Maybe even shame and regret and guilt for the things we've done or the things we've said. But God, we come to you as a, as a loving Father, knowing that your arms are open wide for us to just be entering into it. Knowing that your arms are going to surround us, that your, your embrace is warm. And Father, we just fall before you right now. 
just giving you all the glory and the praise and the honor that you truly deserve. So, Father, as we prepare right now to take communion, God, would you just bring it to the very forefront of our minds, the sacrifice that your son Jesus made on the cross for us. Would we never forget that you gave your son who died on a cross for us and rose three days later so that we could be with you in eternity. And Father, we repent of our brokenness. We repent of our sin against you, Lord. And we ask for you to wash us white as snow, Lord. Cleanse us, Father, from the inside out. And God, as we just sit here, there may be some of us who just need to reconcile a broken relationship, a broken heart set, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would work in this moment right here, right now. We pray that your spirit would be abundant in this place right here and right now, Lord. So, Father, we just, uh, we just ask that you would bless this moment, bless the, this act that we are about to partake in as we remember you, Lord. And we give you all the glory, all the praise and all the honor each and every day. We pray this in your name. Amen.